Okay, hello. I'm started. I've started talking on the thing. This is episode uh, of my podcast. This is episode two hundred and twenty-four. God damn, Jake! It's a lot. It's not as episode as many episodes as it could be. I've uh, I've neglected some weeks of when I should have been doing episodes, but that's we can forget about that and just focus on this one. Let's just focus on your accomplishments, not the failures. <laughs> yeah, well, let's focus on both <laughs> of our accomplishments. So you're, I'm your guest, and you're you're my guest. That's great. And so that's you're great. You're you're Chris Ryan. It's like we're taking each other out to dinner. Sort we're of. going Dutch, going Dutch with Jake Johansson, and we're letting everybody else listen. Yeah. Yeah. I was just in Dutchland, Holland. You were? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you met my buddy Martin there. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. And he asked me, uh, when when is Chris's new book going to be out? <laughs> and you're like, how the fuck should I know? Chris doesn't know. Yeah, Chris yeah. doesn't know. So I need to just say, because if you're listening to my <clears throat> podcast, it's Chris Ryan. He wrote another book called Sex at Dawn. He's been on here before. You sort of know him from that. But then other, t- say another little thing about... You, can you? I'm, a, I'm an award-winning porn actor. Yes. I won the uh, AVN Award uh, in 2017, I think it was, for uh, my category was Best Non-Sex Performance, mm-hmm. and I think that pretty much says everything you need to know about me. Well, <laughs> yeah, I can't speak to any of your sex performances. <laughs> it's non-performance. I'm an excellent non-performer. Non-sex performer. Non-sex performer. That's but you're on now. I mean, this is you. But I'm not performing. See, that's okay. the thing. Right. That's the thing. I'm really <clears throat> at my best when I'm trying not to be at my best. And that's now. That's pretty much now. This is as good yeah. as it gets. Yeah. So when you half-ass it, that's when you really come to life. Half-ass, yeah. I think, you know how some actors say, like, you know, always shoot to my left side, my profile is really good? Right. I'm like that. I Like, I half my ass is really good. If you get the whole ass in there, then then the average drops too much. Mm-hmm. I think better to just go half-ass. Just a little bit of crack. <laughs> but not the full-on. <laughs> not the full-on. Yeah, it's funny, half-ass. I haven't heard that phrase for a long time. And I used to hear it a lot. As a teenager, my dad accused me often of half-assing everything. Well, it's one of my favorite. I do I do a lot of these corporate events, and sometimes you're allowed to say ass. And as the mm. host, you know they're always trying to motivate the salespeople to fully ass to it. give the whole ass, fully ass, not it. the ass, don't whole, half-ass it, but the whole ass. ass yeah, 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 complete ass. I guess we should call it. You know that? Uh, yeah. Now, now you're getting into it. Maybe it means a whole different thing. I heard another phrase recently. Uh, Somebody called me, and I saw comments. I I just did a the, uh, the Netflix thing I did came out. I don't know if you saw that. It's no. What did, what out. Netflix thing did you do? I did this thing, and it, the turnaround was really fast. It, uh, Vox is co-producing something on Netflix now, and mm-hmm. it's it's called Explained, I think. And each week there's a different theme, and the first week was monogamy explained. And uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. How it, long does that take? That doesn't take that long, does the it? The piece was twenty minutes. Uh, they had me, Dan Savage, um, uh, David Barish, who's an evolutionary biologist, and uh, oh, I forget the name of the author who wrote about marriage. Um, anyway, uh, but it's on Netflix. People it's can on watch Netflix. It, yeah, and it's also on, on YouTube um, because the first episode they threw up on YouTube as well, so mm-hmm. everyone could see it and supposedly sign up for Netflix. Anyway, the point is, uh, I was on that thing and I was looking at the comments, and some guy said, "Yeah, Chris Ryan seems like an asshat to me." 
And I thought, asshat, that's an interesting phrase. Is an asshat an ass that you put on your head, or is it a hat you put on your ass? Mm. What is an asshat, and why do I, I seem know. like I, one? I've heard that. I, I've heard that before, asshat, and I'm not. It seems like a, a sort of a tame. It seems like a nice thing. Like you could almost call someone. You seem like an ass. You're an asshat. <laughs> you know, right well, to their face, you. and they would just go, "Look, I'm not sure what it doesn't uh, seem that mean." Oh, kind of like a schmuck or something. Yeah, if you're yeah. not Jewish, you don't know what it means. Yeah. Dipshit. What do you think is worse, asshat or dipshit? <laughs> well, they're both funny, you know. So yeah. I forgive them. But I mean, I'm happy to be called a dipshit or an asshat. Mm-hmm. Fuck knob. How do you feel about fuck knob? Fuck knob's a little more aggressive because yeah. it starts out with when the you, fuck. When you put fuck in there, it gets it gets hurtful. Yeah. And it, but I mean, they all create interesting mental images. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. The asshat. I I I didn't really ever think it through, but I always thought an asshat. Well. Years ago, I, I was uh, better friends, or I was more hanging out with the Higgins boys and Gruber. I don't know if you know Dave and Steve Higgins, and, but they used to live in a house before they became super successful. Steve went on to write, to be the head writer for Saturday Night Live for a oh, while, and Dave oh. was uh, on Ellen, Ellen's sitcom show, and uh, Gruber, who's not really his real name, had, had various other successes out in the entertainment world, but they used to live in a house. And you go over there, and one of the things they would do is give someone an ass hat, which is you're sitting on the couch, leaning back, talking to two of them, while the other one goes around behind you, <laughs> pulls his pants down, and sits down on your head so that his at so it so, so it you looks get like, like a skid mark on your head. Well, it depends. I that depends on the hygiene of the guy. Yeah. But it, I mean, that was we were all younger then. I mean, there was much less. I feel so like that's an ass hat. That was a butt hat. They called it a oh, butt hat. Butt hat. They called it a butt hat, but I would. You could also call it an ass hat. So that would be an ass hat. Yeah. I mean, I I don't understand when you call someone an ass hat if that is like, are you the giver or the receiver of the ass hat? Are you the kind of person who they want to give an ass hat to? Yeah. Or like you said, is, is it some completely different thing? Yeah. Let's not overthink. What do you it. think about Roseanne? We've already overthought it. I think, uh, well, unprecedented that she kind of came back and had this second shot at TV stardom and the, and it was she was so hugely successful and then she she's a crazy person. I think she's yeah. she's sort of a crazy person. I'm, but I think we knew that. We knew Roseanne was crazy from before, right. you know, claiming that she was molested and and to, she's she's had a lot of things that she thought were happening to her and then she decided later didn't Oh, did she have, then say she hadn't well, been molested? Well, you remember that period of time I you know this is problematic on podcasts when people are speaking authoritatively. Yeah. A couple I can't, of dudes I, I talking about I feel like I heard someone say that uh. about her. And, but I do remember there was a period of time when everyone was talking about how they had a tough childhood and in fact, yeah, their uncle did something right. or their dad or right. they, there was something in their history. And and she had one of those type of confessions where you go on Oprah or, or she said, I've got multiple personalities. Mm. I've, got, I've got a multiple personality disorder. And then years yeah. later, it's like, no, I didn't really have that. I'm just I'm, I'm sort of crazy, not run of the mill right. crazy, but I've got I've got I've got issues. And Everybody I think, has multiple personalities, I think. Sure. You know, on some level. But I, the actual psychiatric condition is extremely rare, by the way. I've looked into it. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you look into it? Uh, because I was working on uh, this is a how long ago was this? This was like mid-90s. I was in graduate school in psych, you know, doing a doctorate in psychology, and 
Um, one of the things that I was very seriously considering writing my dissertation about involved multiple personality disorder. So I read the scientific literature around it at the time. Mm-hmm. It was it was one of those diagnoses that peaked in the late seventies. I think there was a movie called um, Sybil, Sybil. I think yeah. 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 And actually, the my thesis advisor Stanley Krippner was a consultant on that movie. Mm-hmm. He was also he was the consultant, the uh, paranormal consultant on Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> What a great gig. Yeah, well, it is. Well, you're a consultant about a thing that, uh, you know, many people believe is not a thing. Right, exactly. Like, you want to accurately portray this thing that may or may not actually exist. I'm the expert on fairies that live underneath Mm. the earth. Mm. I'm the consultant on that. That's what you really want to be, as a consultant on something that no one knows whether it's true or not. You can't fuck it up, yeah. Well, no matter how drunk you are, you you can still nail it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I looked into it. Um, the The idea of in, in I've I've spoken about this on my podcast, so I'll keep it brief. But uh, I had a girlfriend at the time who was raised speaking four languages from childhood, and I was mm-hmm. watching her talk to her mother on the phone. And then she and then her dad got on the phone, and so she switched from French to Catalan. And then like you know she like put her hand on the phone, and said something to me in English, and I was watching her. And of course, I was high at the time, and it occurred to me that it wasn't. It wasn't her speaking French and her speaking Catalan and her speaking English. It, it was like different versions of her, like different, um, different uh, manifestations of her. So there was French Peggy, there was English Peggy, there was Catalan Peggy. And, and I remembered hearing somewhere that there, were, um, there was research showing that there were different physiological sort of baseline conditions in people with multiple personality disorder, there were like signature um, physiological conditions that corresponded to the different personalities. So some, one personality needed reading glasses and the other didn't because the ocular pressure changed. Yeah, and, yeah. Or the blood pressure changed or the heart rate changed. You know, one personality would be really stressed out and with a high metabolism and, mm-hmm. you know, very anxious. And another personality would be totally chill with a much lower heart rate and lower blood pressure. So I thought if I could demonstrate that these different physiological states also correspond to different when a person is speaking different languages... Right, a person who speaks those languages from childhood, right. then you'd sort of be showing that language generates identity. That's interesting. The first thing that I thought, well, not that I wasn't listening to what you're saying, but uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> there is an element in the podcast of like, he's talking, what am I going to say when I'm talking? <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh no, I'm next. <laughs> yeah. But my my first thought was it, it you're you're sort of observing something or maybe something is being made clear because she's speaking different languages that that we all really do. I mean, there's only English Jake. I don't there's not a French Jake yet or a Spanish Jake. Yeah. But there is a there's a there's a me when I'm talking to my parents, there's a me when I'm talking to my wife, there's That's a me true. Yeah. when I'm talking to somebody's right. grandma. Right. You know, we all alter ourselves a little bit that right. way. And that's what I was thinking about when I was watching her and and then I thought about 
you know, her talking to her friends in Catalan and how she had different tics. She, she had a lot of nervous tics at that time. And she had tics that only came up when she was speaking Catalan. And then, you know, they didn't happen when she was speaking English. And there were some other things, some sort of private things, mm-hmm. like about her sexuality. Um, I said something to her in Spanish once when we were having sex, and she nearly, like, kicked me out of the bed like a fucking bronco. It was, like, she freaked out. It was really weird for her to hear me say something in Spanish while we were having sex. And that was shocking. Like, what's the big deal? It's me. And I guess, no, no. Like, it, it was almost like it flipped her into a different, you know, it just like changed the script for her in that moment. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think there is that. And, and I think that's why it was such an interesting question for me because, you know, there's research showing that if you have a word for a certain color in your language, you're much quicker to distinguish that color on on tests. So like on spectral tests, the, if they they show... So if, let's say chartreuse. I don't even know what chartreuse is, but I know it's a color. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? It's one of the greens, I think. Is it green? Okay, yeah. but it's like a specific kind of green, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. so that's why it has a name, right? So if you know, like you... Perfect example. You know what chartreuse looks like. I don't. So if they flash that color and then say, like, um, you know, hit this button next time you see that color, and then they flash a bunch of colors close to it, and then yeah, it, I, you'll hit it right away. And I you're won't. hitting all the greens. Because like, I'm like, I don't know. Well, because you haven't made that distinction. The reason that you have a word for it is you make a distinction between that and the other greens. Right. You right? can picture so it in lang- your head. But it's a language. It's also a language thing. Like, right. That's like my if, point. If if you said, "Hey, this is a dog or some animal that I," right. You know, some countries have people come over here who've never seen a squirrel before, and they're holy shit. These things are everywhere. Yeah. We're used to them. And we yeah. we know what they are. So, like monkeys in Asia. Yeah. Fucking that was monkeys. the. That was the advice I was given when I went to Asia. Don't was, fuck with the monkeys. Don't touch the monkeys. Don't even look at them. No they, eye contact. Uh, yeah, well, they don't like eye contact. They, they have a different... They, when you're eyeballing them, and that means something different. They're them. like, fuck you, dude. What are you looking at? Well, strangers, people don't necessarily like it when you look them in the eyes, unless you're engaging. You know, if you're talking to someone at the Starbucks, get off your phone and look at the person in their eyes. Right. But if you're if you're just waiting somewhere in a room or, or if you're on that bus from the this is an experience that I recently had you're on the bus from the gate to where the actual airplane is right you don't want to be staring people no down. that's like a rolling elevator yeah that don't, bus. don't look at people so let's talk about your trip man I haven't seen you in months well do, this was yeah I or you, you've already talked about it on your podcast I guess well I talked a little bit about some of it but I did you know I didn't talk about the second part I talked to you know Okay, it hasn't been comprehensive. <laughs> I'm happy to. We can do whatever the fuck. See, we this want. is the problem. So here we you are. Got a lot of rules on your podcast. I don't. Know I don't have any fucking rules. We have, but there are three things happening here. There's one: we're recording Jake's podcast called Jake This. Two: we're recording my podcast. Tangentially speaking. Three: we're a couple friends who haven't seen each other for a few months, just catching up. So it's like there's it's a, a lot, lot of levels. a lot of plates in there. A lot there. of levels. Yeah. So what's off the table? I'm not sure. But let's. So I went to, I did the, the Asia part of the trip, which mm. is the part where, so before I went, I went to the travel doctor. So there's a travel doctor you can go to in uh, Santa Monica. His Dr. Rock was recommended to me by my manager's uh, husband, but turned out to also be the doctor that Russell 
goes to Russell Peters, whose tour I was right. Um, and I get there very friendly, and she said, "Okay, well, th these are the vaccinations you're going to need." And well, I can't even remember what they were, but it's like cholera or whatever, some kind of stuff like that. And she said, "Also, I recommend these salts so you don't get dehydrated. Here's some antibiotics in case you get some infection, so you don't have to go to the doctor. You've got them. You can just give them to yourself if you feel like you you got an infection or you get nauseous because it was going to be there was a lot of." Tra Travel, arrive, do the show, leave. So there wasn't right, time, time to go to, to the doctor right. and get a prescription. And right. then, um, so there were those things. And then her her real advice was, you know, look, rabies. You don't want to mess around. Nobody wants rabies. You, that's one thing that I know for sure. I don't know a lot of things for sure. Like I was a little bit in the dark about that multiple personality thing <laughs> and uh, what an ass hat was. But I'm I'm absolutely a hundred percent sure. Yeah. You don't want rabies yeah. because it's still a lot of painful shots. And if you mm. if you don't bring the animal that bit you to the to the doctor or the police or whatever. They don't know if that animal had rabies. So you got bit. You better get the rabies treatment because if you start coming oh, down with symptoms of rabies, it's too late. It's too late. Fuck. And you do not want rabies. Rabies is terrible. Rabies is the closest thing that we have to some kind of walking dead zombie virus. Um, so you don't want rabies. And she said one of the ways that you get rabies or that you get bit and have to get the shots is you pet a monkey. You're in Asia. You've never been around monkeys. They come over. They're friendly because assholes have been feeding them. Or ass hats, yeah, yeah. ass hats, and ass feeding hats. these monkeys, yeah. and so the monkeys come over to you and expect food, and you give them a nut or something, and they seem all happy and they're cute, and they look at you and they hold out their hand, and you don't have anything <clears throat> left, and so you go to shake their hand, and they go, "Fuck, there's no food in there," and they bite you. Yeah. Now, and then they run away. Ha ha ha! They laugh. Yeah, try monkeys. catching a mon monkey. Forget about it. No, after you've just been bit, you're distracted. You don't realize. Look, job one is kill that fucking monkey. Yeah. And we don't have to kill it, but you need to bring it to the doctor. If you get bit by a monkey... You're not going to catch a monkey. You're not going to catch a monkey. That's rule two. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got to kill the Confucius monkey. Confucius You're not going to catch, catch, catch the monkey. monkey. Yeah. Your instinct when a monkey bites you is to definitely kill it. You're not going to catch a monkey whether it's bit you or not. Monkeys are like the most agile fucking mm -hmm. creatures ever. I spent a lot of time around monkeys. I don't know if you remember Sex at Dawn begins with me being attacked by a monkey. I don't remember the part where you were being attacked, but I remember if you want to be a monkey, if you're going to be a monkey, if you get a choice, like if reincarnation is real and you yeah. go somewhere and you, you're given a like who you want to be, it's bonobo. That's what I know. Yeah, bonobos aren't really monkeys though. They're apes. Monkeys have tails. That's the thing. Mon that's the distinction. Monkeys right. have tails. Apes don't. Um, but yeah, if you're going to be a primate, bonobos are pretty good. The problem is, like everybody else who's pretty good, they're under incredible pressure and you know being habitat wiped yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. But so, monk, let's go back to you getting bit by a monkey. Well, I didn't get bit. Uh, what happened was what you described. We were in this uh, in this um, botanical garden in Penang, Malaysia. I was with my girlfriend, and there was this cute little monkey hanging from a tree by its tail, and we had just bought some bags of peanuts. Mm-hmm. At the entrance, and um, the guys who were selling us the peanuts, we didn't realize that they were because people fed monkey the peanuts to the monkeys, and so you were just eating the peanuts. I was just like, oh, peanuts! All right, I have some peanuts, and uh, yeah. But then we so we opened the bag and the cellophane, the, the, the rustling like dinner time. Yeah, they know that sound. So she's handing this peanut up to this monkey that's hanging from this tree this cute little baby monkey and suddenly there's this explosion and another monkey like flashes out of the underbrush 
jumps on her, steals the bag out of her hand, and boom, it's gone. And it's like a flash, man. Like, whoa! And she, ah! she's crying, and her hand's bleeding. He scratched her, and and it was just like, what the fuck just happened? And then I look around, and there are like all these monkeys everywhere. And then I notice that ev- all the local people have big sticks with them. Like, I thought they were walking sticks or whatever. That's the I didn't, monkey you know, poker. That's the fucking, don't fuck with us monkeys. We got a stick. And I didn't have a stick. And we're like deep into the botanical gardens by this point. So it was a, it was a scary moment. I got to tell you, peanut Jack. guy should tell you about. They should, that. but they didn't. They don't give a shit. They're laughing. Yeah, you know, send the tourists in with some peanuts and no stick. <laughs> well, even to be fair to that, get to that guy. If you'd have bought the nuts and he'd have said, "Do you want a stick?" You'd have said, well, "No." Why? Why do I want a stick? Do you want a stick? <laughs> How much is the stick? Fuck you, dude. Yeah, stick rental. I'm gonna have the monkey, the peanuts, no stick, <laughs> please. That's my order, straight up. So the next guy is like, I want two sticks. Give me his stick. I'll yeah. take my stick and his stick. So, so what happened was like I had this really primate reaction. I was fucking pissed, man. Yeah, I was like, because it was my girl, you mm-hmm. know, like no, hey, fuck you, buddy, fuck you, and and so I got like. You know, I started like strutting around and like you know being all testosterone addled, and then a few minutes later we were we calmed down and we were in the, like a little clearing and there's this tree in the middle of the clearing and there were a couple baby monkeys there and she had forgiven and forgotten at this point and she was like oh and I took all the peanuts like I had the peanuts now right like fuck how it. did you get the peanuts I well because monkey she, took the peanuts yeah I had more bags though because uh, we'd bought okay, a couple right, bags gotcha, right. okay so. So she's like, "Oh, give me, give me the peanuts. I want to give some more to this thing." And and there was like a, it was a clearing, right? And so like, mm-hmm. okay, I could see there were no adult monkeys around. So I pull the bag of peanuts out of my out of my pocket, and as I do, this monkey, a big one, comes like out of the underbrush at the edge of the clearing, and sort of he's sitting there looking at me, right? Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, what are you gonna do? And do you still have like? And I don't I'm care still if you're pissed. The other monkey, I'll beat you up. I'll fuck you up, man. And so I'm like, yeah, all right, dude. I've been waiting for you, you know. And like, he's not gonna. It's it's this is all poker, right? This is all bluff. Well, you think you're bigger, and so I he's going to be afraid of and you. And I'm pissed off, no, so I'm not you thinking you're clearly. Bigger. You know you're bigger, but you you think you can intimidate this monkey, right. but you don't. It doesn't occur to you like, what if the monkey's not intimidated? Right, exactly. So it's poker, yeah. and I think I have a winning hand. So he sort of like, so I give her the bag, and she opens the bag. And she's like handing it to the the baby. This other dude's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and he's like taking two two steps closer and stopping, and then two steps and stopping. And he's like maybe fifteen twenty feet away by now, and I'm like, "Fuck you, dude!" And there's a there's like a branch that had fallen out of the tree, and I pick it up and just like throw it at him to scare him off, you know, like not to uh-huh. hit him, but just like, "Hey, get the fuck out of here!" And it lands in front of him. And he doesn't move. He kind of like looks at the branch, and then he looks up at me, right in my eyes, and leaps over the branch and comes at me, like straight at me, fucking fangs, like coming at me. And dude, I lost my fucking mind. I was like, like all cerebral functioning stopped. Uh huh. And I just went ape. I turned into a fucking monkey. I just started like. And like jumping up and down and ah, 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 like doing all this shit. And he stopped like maybe 
10 feet from me and like looked at me and I was just like yeah like being as ugly and weird as possible and he fucking backed up and yeah. took off I was a little scared did I scare no, you there you thought it. I was I mean, going to leap over real. your, your you iPad went you went there man I am an award winning actor Jake as I may have yeah, mentioned no. earlier well it's clear to me that that award was yeah for, for something real I, you, you know, did. I get, oh. I can, I really, I lose myself in a role. You did. You got caught up in that story. <laughs> I got caught up in that story. Well, and I, I was wondering as you were telling it. God again, damn, you got a gorilla kettlebell there. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, you're, you know, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan's podcast. He advertises the You just buy whatever, kettlebells. whatever the fuck he's selling. I'm a moron. Do Advertising it? works. You have a fanny pack? I'm not one of the ones that he sells, but I do. I was into fanny packs before it's show. I, I mean, yeah. he and I have a. We're, we're, he's a little younger than me, but not that yeah. much. Yeah. So yeah, I I was. We around. could have beat him up forty years ago. <laughs> forty maybe. Forty maybe. Forty. The Come on, us, I, w- I was sixteen. Us? I don't know how old you were. Joe was probably three. We could have kicked his ass. Yeah, yeah, we would have had a chance then. <laughs> those, those days are long gone. <laughs> Although. Uh, Although, it's, you know, this isn't it. It's not just the kettlebells that look like monkeys. I'm also now, I started doing jujitsu because... Oh, Jesus. No, I, I... What is it with the jujitsu and the middle-aged men? I mean, g- give me a break, people. Really? You're doing jujitsu? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go back to monkeys? Do you want to go back to monkeys? All right, all right. Um, so tell me about your midlife crisis, Jake. Okay, my midlife crisis is... You're getting ass hats. If you're doing jujitsu, oh you got guys sitting on your head. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, as with anything, you try and learn. You start off on the bottom, and in jujitsu, you literally start off on the bottom. Right. Like, you try and do something, and then there's a guy on top of you. And so the first thing you're trying to learn is how not to get choked or your arm barred or twisted or whatever yeah. when you're on the bottom. You're just trying to not. Just trying to see how long you can go before that happens. Is re- I should re- rephrase it. Yeah. Um, but the reason I did, I had always been curious about it since you know be- <clears throat> before Joe had his podcast at the be- I I watched the early UFC when this guy Hoist Gracie, who was kind of the early ambassador, he, he popularized jujitsu to me anyway and to a lot of people because he beat this guy Dan Severn in this. Uh, UFC tournament at yeah. that time it was before it was the way it was now there were much less rules so he was like a 160 70 pound dude up against Dan <clears> Severn <throat> a 220 pound wrestler and he was just underneath the guy for 20 minutes and then he the Dan made him a, made a mistake and he got him in a triangle choke and he he won yeah and it was like wow I, that's that's impressive that you know I'm not a tough guy I'm not a giant sized guy but that a guy who's smaller than another guy could beat him in that kind of fight it was like, wow, that's interesting. So I was I was curious about it, and then it would come up, and you'd see, and then in the early days of the modern, more modern UFC, you'd see the jiu-jitsu guys would be winning, and so I was curious to wonder how you learn how to do that, and mm-hmm. also it's not punching, so you're not mm-hmm. like I don't want to learn how to box or kickbox. I don't want to get punched, you know. I I can't get hurt, and that's what and and so. So Russell invited me to go on this tour. Russell Peters invited me to go on his world tour, and he came out to see the show last Thanksgiving weekend. He came to see my hour show, and, you know, I said, oh, look, I'm doing this. If you want to come out, we can hang out. Is that the one that I came to with my mom? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a good yeah. show. It was a great show. It was it was a fun show. And so I'm talking to him after everybody left. Uh, I was talking to him, and, and I said, oh, you know, one of the things, we don't really know each other. We, that was the first time we met in person, mm. but we knew of each other's work. And, you know, I said, oh, I, I know you do jujitsu, and um, I, I, I've always been curious about that, but I'm too old. I, I don't want to get hurt. And he said, uh, you know, no, you no. He said, go to a go to a just jujitsu place, not an MMA gym, and uh, go to the gi only class, which is where you wear the kind of robe pajama thing. And he said, you know, you, it's going to be more, it's more grown up, but you're not going to get hurt. You know, and we'll call him and read it. So I so I called. He said, and if you like it, so this is in November. We're going to leave the February first. He says, if you like it, bring your gi, and we can train when we're on the road. Mm. So That's I a thought, great idea. Keep in shape while you're traveling. Yeah. So I thought, yeah. well, this is this is a. I've got some advice to try this. I'm that that is addressing my concern that I'm going to get injured. That I'm an old guy who's having a midlife crisis. I mean, you know, I just didn't want to get hurt. So, so I go to the class, and it, it's it's a little bit weird at first because you don't know uh, what you're getting into. But they were super nice, and and they said, look, you don't have to worry about getting hurt. This is a friendly atmosphere, and people when you tap, tap when you want them to stop. You know, and so. That's pretty easy rules, and I mm. really liked it. It was a great workout. Mm. I'd never done martial arts before, mm. and so the, also the atmosphere of the that you know it's not a bunch of aggro guys who are trying to kick your ass. I right. mean, there, there's a there is an element of that with some of the guys directed outwards because they're competitive. They want to go into com- mm. tournaments and and actually compete against people that they don't know. Where it's like I'm going to beat you at this thing. But in the class, there's really an atmosphere of we're helping each other to get better. And right. Most of the class, the beginning of each class is you practice a new technique, and then uh, and then the last for 45 minutes or so you warm up, practice a new technique. The last 45 minutes, you you get paired up with somebody and you roll, and uh, and and then that part, if if you're, but the guys who have the higher belts and more experience, when they know that you're starting out, at least at the place where I went. They're they're interested in helping you. They're not. Yeah. Inter- I mean, it's like it would be yeah. like beating up a child to them, for them to beat you up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I suppose if I was a if I was an asshat, right? And I went in there <laughs> and I said, "Well, I, th- I think I'm pretty tough." They would teach you that you're not. You're not. Yeah, but I'm yeah. not an asshat. No, I I agree. I I've done a lot of martial arts over the years, and the the best thing about it is that sense of community. Yeah. And and if someone is like aggressive and and has that attitude they they get their ass handed to them pretty quickly and then they either leave or you know i i did aikido which is similar i guess to jujitsu in in some respects but it's uh i jujitsu is far more practical aikido is more um you're you're using the other person's momentum against you and and yeah yeah there's a lot of that and it's it's I mean, there's a lot of bullshit Aikido. Joe Rogan uh, yeah. posts some really funny Aikido videos on his Instagram sometimes of these people pretending that they're, like, you know, knocking you backwards without touching you and stuff. Yeah, there's yeah. some, like, Qigong and, you know, weird shit. But, no, Aikido, at its best, is is actually really beautiful because it's it was developed as a way to to defend yourself against someone who has a sword when you don't. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of blocking, right? You're not going right. to block the sword with your forearm like in Taekwondo or something. So it's about getting out of the way and taking control of the situation 
and resolving the situation in a way where you demonstrate control, but it's not about domination. Mm-hmm. It's more about like just hey, you know, it's not worth it to fight. So it's more of a, it's more of a, um, a martial art that's seeking uh, sort of an equitable, peaceful solution rather than dominating the situation outright. Which makes it not particularly effective if you got like you know hoodlums about to beat your ass. But it's but what I find interesting about it is that it's extremely valuable in. Um, any kind of interaction because what you learn from the dis- from the discipline is you immediately look for what does this person need from me so imagine physically it's okay the sword is coming straight down the middle i'm not going to stop that sword so what am i going to do i'm going to step to the side i'm going to maintain my balance and my composure and my center i'm going to like catch his wrist as it goes by in his elbow because now I've got leverage and then I'm going to manipulate him physically without getting cut by the sword right. and without breaking his arm, right? In Kung Fu, I would just break his arm. But with this, you, you're you not trying to break right. his arm. So apply that to, like, you know, whatever. I, I, some guy comes up to you in the bar and he's like, you're not so fucking funny, man. Like, all right, yeah, you're right. Sometimes I'm not so funny. Give it to him. Well, that's, yeah, and that's the thing that you realize just as a beginning jujitsu person. Well, the joke that I had in my, that I was taught when I was first talking about, I, before I had this conversation and started to do jujitsu, I was thinking about like, why do I want to do it? Well, you want to do it so that you can defend yourself or you can, uh, if it, if you get in a fight, you're going to win that fight. But then you realize, well, the people who are really good at jujitsu don't get into fights because they know that they could win the fight and they're dangerous all the time, so they avoid having fights. I right. Mean, I mean, there are some bully assholes in the world, yeah. but but most of the people who are good at a martial art don't get in fights because they know that they can win. And if the other guy does aggress and start a fight, but but most of the time, look, I've never been in a fight, so I already know the first part of jujitsu. Right. I already know <laughs> I don't want to be in a fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't know that they don't want to be in a fight. Some yeah. people think they do want to be in a fight, and a lot of people who have zero martial arts, Joe Rogan makes this point all the time, but it's a lot of people who want to fight, have no no experience fighting. They don't right. understand about fighting, and they right. think they want to be in a fight. I already know I don't want to be in a fight. Right. But the thing that uh, that I feel like I've gotten out of the jiu-jitsu just in this short period of time is that a real calmness about that, a less of a willingness to get sucked into the confrontation. So even though I know that I don't want to have in a fight, be, have, be in a fight... I've been in situations at nightclubs where I was working where somebody gets aggressive and I want to kind of insert in there and, you know, you, you, you're, you're sort of, your impulse is to like, hey, wait a minute, jackass, you're wrong. And, and the, 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 just a little bit of jiu-jitsu teaches you like, well, you don't really want to. You don't want to get into it that way with somebody, right? You just want to you yeah. want to talk to them. It's like hey, there's look, no there's no winning. We got plenty of time for you to make a mistake, but I don't think you want to make a mistake. Yeah, you know, I don't think you want to get it. Up well, right. and also like your ego, you're in a better place when your ego, and this is the staying centered, right? Like when your ego doesn't require you to come out on top. Well, that's and that goes back to the at the beginning. I was saying to this to one of the other white belts, you know, because I had this. I thought it was kind of an insight, and I guess he he thought it was too. You know, like I'm just 
I'm practicing being on the bottom. You know, well, the guy who's on top of you has been on the bottom. You don't get to be the guy on top right. until you practice being on the bottom. Right. So I'm practicing being on the bottom first. You know, a dominatrix said that to me once. <laughs> Seriously, on the yeah. podcast. Because she's this dominatrix, Jenny Norbank, I think her name is. And I was like, so how did you get into this? She's like, well, first, you know, you have to go through, like, um, receiving, like being the, yeah, yeah, you know, like getting whipped and chained. And, you know, and then eventually you work your way up to whipping and chaining. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 So it's the same. You can't, you can't be the person who wins without being the person who loses. Exactly. And, yeah. and I feel like your experience of losing after a while, you realize, hey, look, and then you watch the other guys. I mean, the the black belts and the brown belts and the blues and the purples, those guys are going against each other, and they're losing. Nobody wins all the time. Nobody's right. undefeated forever. Right. So the more real experience that you have with that and the more you, confidence that you get, either you're a person who wins fights all the time, so you know, like, like it's I, I don't need to prove to myself that I can beat this guy, and I don't really need to prove to him that I can beat beat him either it's, right. it's what what does he need like right. you said well, what right. do you need right. what do you need do you you need me to tell you that i i'm sorry okay well, i'm sorry let's let's just go home right. we're not here yeah. to have an argument you know because it, you're describing it i'm thinking how universal that experience is and and like i think about comedians who you know, every comedian talks about you have to bomb and bomb and bomb and then eventually you know you get a laugh and then you get a second laugh and then you start to hone it and I mean is it a similar process like you, you have to be humiliated well I wouldn't even describe it as humiliation is also a choice exactly you know, right I mean but you have to fail yeah we have to experience being on the bottom you have to be you have to understand what it's like to not be good yeah and and when you understand that, then you get to the level where, okay, I want to be good. I want to be better at this. Well, right. you just have to keep going and keep learning things, and you do get better. You know, there's, there's, I've only, because this tour has been two six weeks chunks, so in the course of almost six <clears throat> months, I've only been there three months. But one of the other guys did give me a nice compliment the other day. He says, boy, you're getting tougher. You're getting harder to, mm. I, you know, you're, you're better at protecting yourselves, you know, mm. yourself. And, and There's that multiple personality thing. Yeah, yourselves. I'm protecting <laughs> myself. It's not just me, but it's the future generations of me. <laughs> That's exactly. You're junk. You're protecting your oh, junk is I, what you're well, saying. I'll tell you what. I did have a question about my junk. I said, look, should I be wearing some kind of cup? Because... Uh, my balls few, hang to my knees. You do get it, and the and the answer was uh, well, you can't wear them in competition. So he said, I don't, I don't like to wear them. I see some guys who do wear a cup. I don't. I, I did get something that more uh, like a, a jock to a jock, right, to compress yeah, it because yeah. there's a thing that can happen. You know, you're it's right there, and people are putting their knees, and mm. you know, there's a lot of. There's a lot of action right around your junk. In the groinal area. Negative action, not positive. <laughs> not like, hey, I hope that happens later. No, no caressing. <laughs> it's all. <laughs> That's the other thing. You're so fucking close and on another guy. Like, yeah. like sometimes you're in a almost a 69 position. Yeah, there's a lot of humping going on. I was telling my wife, Belinda, about just the... You know, just to be in someone's guard, which is basically, I got my arms around your waist, crossed by, or my legs crossed around behind your back, and I'm trying to hold on to you. I mean, that's just a weird, intimate position, but there's no, it is not, 
there's no kind of there's an intimacy because you're right next mm. to person, but there's no there's no kind of people who see the, see jujitsu sometimes think oh it's funny two guys it's sexual like that it's like no it is not sexual. You seem kind of defensive, Jake. Maybe it's because uh, <laughs> I oh, I was one of the guys who at the beginning thought oh that's a little bit what's it going to be like to be that close to another dude <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. you catch an accidental knee in the balls or yeah. an elbow in the teeth and you're like oh it's not this is not sex to me this, yeah there was a uh, talking about martial arts and and sexual issues there was a um a kickboxer a champion kickboxer in thailand years ago like a world champion who was a lady boy so it's a, a, man, a, a man, physical man who dressed as a woman and, and, a born and man, identified a born, as a, penis a woman. Person, transsexual, yeah, a penis person, right? But with boobs. No, I don't think I don't think boobs were involved. But dressing and you know the identified, self-identified. Uh-huh. So it was pre-op, no hormones, mm-hmm. um, and then you know she would get undressed and go in the ring and kick ass yeah 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 there was a movie made about the person i can't remember her name or um but i was i had a woman on my podcast recently who was a kickboxer and we were talking about that it's it's so interesting you know somebody i don't know if there are any openly gay ufc fighters but that seems like a really tough world i don't know about oh yeah i don't know i met a, a ufc fighter sorry to interrupt you who it, right before a fight, he pulled his pants down, and on his ass was written like you know, respect LGBT people or something. Um, Kyle Kingsbury, I think his name is. This is a, well, if you're wrong, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, if you're no. wrong, and there is a guy named Kyle Kingsbury. <laughs> you're gonna probably uh, well, yeah. it's a cool thing to do, you know. Like he he was like what a you know in the belly of the beast to stand up for lgd lgbt it's a, it's people it's it's nice it's a cool thing to do it's a nice thing to do for lgbt people it's a nice thing to do but i don't know if cool i don't know if it's a cool i don't know if pulling your pants down to reveal a message <laughs> in general that feels like a less it feels like some teenager's idea of this is going to be cool oh, it's like but moon then, what's it called moon writing yeah. <laughs> is there a name I don't for know. it <laughs> Try it at Thanksgiving. And Did tell you? me how cool it is. Oh, oh no, this yeah. Thanksgiving. Happy well, Thanksgiving. Just write Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, you know what? I the last couple of years I've had Thanksgiving at your house, so maybe I will, Jake. <laughs> I can't wait. Look, we're going to get a... It's either going to be a bigger crowd or a smaller crowd. Or both. Or It'll start out crowd, bigger. A weirder and, crowd. A weirder crowd, for sure, yeah. So, uh, so you, you going back out on tour soon, or are you home for a while now? Well, so so we did the Asia tour. Thailand was one of the places you can go, and then and when you're there, you're looking for some kind of, you know, like I didn't buy a lot of souvenirs, but uh, they did. I did notice that in Thailand, you could buy the Thai boxing trunks, the silk trunks. Oh yeah. I don't know who. Evidently, a lot of people buy them because there's every all the sort of booths of tourist stuff are selling them. Were you? Did you get out of Bangkok, or you just do a no, show there? No, I mean most of it was we'd arrive, we stayed at really nice hotels. So you arrived, and you got the evening of your arrival, and then in Thailand, I think we did have a day off the next day, and then a show. And some of the other guys were in Thailand for a few more days, but I, Russell and I went to Tokyo to do a show, yeah. and uh, and and that was great. Um, but yeah, so it was a pretty quick visit. So most of the places, it was, you know, you're walking distance from two, three miles from the hotel, and so that, and we were staying in 
places where there was interesting things to see within that distance of the hotel. Mm. Except for Jakarta. Jakarta was is just such a mess of if you can't really walk around a lot of the streets. Don't and have, the traffic's so, horrible. And the traffic is yeah. like full on. We had to leave to go to the show at dusk and it was raining and so it was a full-on Blade Runner experience. You know, yeah. the rain's coming down, the mosques have got the call to prayer thing going on, and so all the scooters, any time there's an opening between cars that's big enough for a scooter, there's a scooter in there. Yeah, yeah. Like, they have a version of Uber there that, that's a guy shows up with a scooter yeah. and an extra helmet, yeah. and you get on the back. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I would do that the next time. That would be my it's much faster, thing. yeah. It's much faster. And tuk-tuks, I guess. Did you get a tuk-tuk in there, Bangkok? In Bangkok, there was a the tuk-tuks are sort of a now a tourist oh, right. thing. Like they want to. They're not really using them. Did you do well, the river? Using the them, river the taxi price is a little higher. Uh, if, well, you were staying at the fucking Shangri-La or something. Well, yeah. right, but the traffic yeah. is brutal. You know, yeah. and and also the thing is, yeah, it looks charming. You're in the tuk-tuk, but the other, it's not charming if there's traffic because you're, you're sitting shit. outdoors. Yeah. You're yeah. not only breathing everybody else's exhaust, but you're in a thing that's yeah. that's like a fucking barbecue smoker yeah <laughs> asia gotta love it yeah well that's why it's good to get out of the city man yeah i love thailand i've i've been to thailand i don't know it was so good Thai maybe. people well all the people we met were sweet but thailand it was just we went to this restaurant that was right next to the hotel it was not the fancy hotel restaurant but it was so the food was so good it's and the, the best people food in the world so yeah nice yeah 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 thai people are great they uh I, I like I say I've spent years in Thailand, you know, cumulatively, and uh, it's it's kind of the place that I don't hesitate to recommend because it's it's sort of at that nexus of exotic yet convenient and safe. Like yeah. the trains work, the buses are on time. You can get a nice hotel room for twenty five bucks a night. You know, like a mm-hmm. decent room. Um, and if you get out of the city, it's it's just lovely, and the people are great, and the food's are fantastic. And uh, but Thai people are sort of the epitome of like they're great, they're kind, they're wonderful. But man, you do not want to piss them off. Like that, they'll fuck you up if if things get bad. If you really do something you shouldn't have done, it can end really, really badly. It's not a dangerous place, but it's not a place to be an asshole, is what I'm saying. Where's the best place to go to be an asshole, would you say, in your opinion? New York's a good place. You fit right in. Well, the, yeah. New York Israel, is, maybe? New York is great because what's your fucking problem is a thing that you might say to someone if you were behind a counter. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. what's your fucking problem? Do you need a sandwich? <laughs> we got sandwiches. Yeah, right. What's your fucking size? We're out. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know how it is. Like, like a lot of places you can just get away with so much shit. And I guess what I'm saying is like people misunderstand. I, I think some people, some assholes misunderstand that sort of Thai sweetness and tolerance as like, you can, you can get away with anything. And then they, they find that there's a, there's a hard limit to it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they're the. Yeah, they're just people you just don't want to um, get on the wrong side of. I, I love Thailand. And it's interesting how, the, like, for example, there are, it's extremely tolerant in so many things, but you do not ever make a joke about the king. Like, 
no, don't yeah, yeah. even think about it. Well, and that's in a lot of these countries. A lot of you, you know, you come there as an outsider person from another culture. Uh, you can't you can't just make fun of their culture like it's a joke to you, and you come yeah. from the place where the real and assume that that they're also going to be like, yes, of course, we have a silly king, and you have a president. That's so much better. You can't. <laughs> that's not the way they're going to think about yeah. it. Yeah. If you thought if you thought for a mi- if you just thought it through for a minute. Yeah. You know. But I mean, you would know that if you went to you know Egypt or something, right? Where like they're taking a lot of shit seriously. Mm-hmm. But so it's it's sort of Thailand's interesting because it seems like oh they don't care they're relaxed I can you know walk down the street I can drink I can you know I can like the sexual thing is very relaxed everything's relaxed not that not that thing you know there there are these yeah. exceptions to that sort of blanket tolerance yeah it's uh, anyway I love Thailand glad you got to go you should go again and get the fuck out of Bangkok. Yeah, well that's the that's true of all the places we went to. Yeah. But but, but there were some there was just some beautiful spots. Like this last trip where there was a lot of the Scandinavian countries we went ah, to. All right. And uh you had mentioned I think earlier in our this conversation you talked about where was it? Amsterdam? Didn't you say the Dutch? We went to Amsterdam. Yeah. I thought Amsterdam was a great place. I mean, yeah. all those. Is that your first trip to Amsterdam? I'd never been there before. Oh, you know? yeah. It's a special place. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I think a lot of Americans of our generation are really Amsterdam. It's hookers and pot, yeah. right? And that is a thing that's there. But yeah. you have to go to the place where you do that. And if that's if that's what you want to do... You can do it. Did that's you go to the red light district? We wa- I walked around. It's actually a really nice part of the city. It's right. It's not it's right seedy back at all. Behind the main the center dumb, of the yeah. town. Yeah. yeah. So, and and it's I didn't get involved in it. There were some other guys who were they were interested. You know, you're single. You do what you want, right? Um, but yeah, you walk around. There's a little glass booth where you can see the person if they're unless they're the curtains drawn and they're in there working and you strike a deal it was my understanding is you have to negotiate it there's not like a no a standard price is there a standard price? last i heard i don't know I, you know it's been a while but yeah i when i uh knew about this stuff i i didn't experience it myself but i was with a guy who did and it was a set price 50 euros this was 10 years ago we yeah. have well ago. i think you have to be very specific from talking to my friend on the tour who was into it it was like you have to be clear about what it is you're going to be giving or receiving right and uh, how how long yeah the time they'll try to last. upsell you right or he described an experience when he was much younger when he was there like 1920 or something or whatever the age whatever the bottom age of being able to do that was where he had they had struck the deal and uh it paid her, and he was almost ready. You know, he he hadn't had an orgasm, but he was very close. And she said, "Okay, well, that's it. <laughs> Time's up." And he was like, "What?" She goes, "Yeah, well, it's another twenty euros." If yeah, you wanna, yeah. You know. <laughs> that's the easiest sale ever. <laughs> it's an easy sale, but it's also like, oh man, well, what did you think I was paying for? Yeah. What did I? I know what I thought I was, but what did you think I? I mean. Is has anyone in the history of prostitution ever said, "Look, I like I like you just get me almost there, yeah, and then tell me to fuck off"? <laughs> that's that's what I'd like. It's a romance. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. I feel like you can get that for free a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Good lord. So, uh, 
so six. You said two? so six week, six two six week chunks. That's so a lot of time oh, on the dude, road. That, that was the toughest part of it was being just away from your life for that long, and then and then you're also with ten guys who are great, but they're not necessarily you know ten guys. Yeah, so there's it's me. A fucking rugby team or a comedy well, show? Well, there's me, and then there's Russell Peters, yeah. the two comedians, and then there's uh, Spinbad, the DJ, and then there's the, the they call them the Whites, the three three guys who do the tech stuff. They're these Canadian guys, and they're you know they set up the stage and shoot. He he talks to the crowd a lot, so two guys shoot camera shots of the audience whoever he's right. talking to right. and, and the other one runs the board and they right. they set up all the speakers and backdrop and right. make sure that is all set so there's three of those guys and then there's either two or three security guys and uh, so how what are we up to now three six right okay I thought know, it was seven, like seven eight. comics and then and then there's uh, Russell's brother who's the tour manager and uh, and then uh I don't know if I'm forgetting anybody, but mm. then, but so so it's all those guys, and right. so every time you go to the airport, there's going to be a van and a luggage van, and right. then when you check in, it's all of us get there at once, and everybody's schlepping. got big bags and merch, and there's a camera in some of them, and you're all checking in together, and then you know going to the to the lounge to wait for your flight, and then change flights, and then you get off the plane, you got to find the guy with the van and get in the van and go though. So so there's a lot of complicated interactions where you know my impulse because I've been on the road for so long is to like get involved like well maybe we should put our bags in here and it's like I finally realized like fuck, there's enough guys yeah. who are worrying about that shit right just wait until someone tells you where to put your bag right yeah. so so there, there's <laughs> there's a fair amount of as I described to my wife suppression of self in order mm. to just Go go along to get along. Right. There's a, there's a lot of that, and that and that that's that's a challenge on the trip, and it's and everybody's doing it. I'm not saying look, it's mm. a pain in the ass for me, right. and everybody else is dominating me. Sure. It's every you take turns being the person who's got to shut up. Yeah. And uh, so so that was long. Yeah. And then the pace of it. This last trip in Europe, there was a lot of travel and arrive on one day, do the show the next day. And so when you're getting up at 3.45 in the morning to make your flight after you just got back to the hotel at 1 Oof. in the morning. That's brutal. You're sort of wrecked. And then you got you get to the... You, maybe you caught an hour on the plane. You get to the hotel. You want to sleep for two hours, but then go out. This is your chance. If you want to go have dinner and see Ljubljana, Slovenia, at night, you got to go tonight. Tomorrow you can get up early have a walk around, but then you got to go to the show, and then we're going to do what I just described again right. the next day. Right. So, the, so, so it was a good put a put a bookmark in placeholder for seeing a place, and also I did have some great experiences. I saw some cool stuff. Stavanger, Norway, well worth the trip. It's really, up on the east, you know, it's right across kind of from Iceland, mm. and it's where they they used to be. A fishing place, and then it's now it's where the oil industry, the Norwegian oil industry, which turns out to be very socialistic and progressive, and you know, it's very interesting. The petroleum in, uh, museum is there. I went to that. <laughs> the other guys sort of made fun of me because I was trying to go to museums and stuff, and they were kind of, where's the red light district? And let's get some beers. And right. but uh, 
but the Stavanger, Norway, I recommend Trondheim, Norway was another place up mm. the top of Norway that you I You guys really were just loved. in Iceland last year, weren't you? And and Belinda and I and our daughter went to Iceland for vacation last summer. There was right. supposed to be a show in Iceland on this tour. The, that was going to be the last stop, but the Amsterdam show had to move from the beginning of the tour to the end. Mm. So we went to Amsterdam twice, once just because that was our routing and then again because it was that's when they moved the show to so then the Iceland show dropped out of the tour mm. but uh, yeah it was it was a great trip so that, there was that that trip around Europe and then there was the the six weeks before was you know about uh, a week and a half in Australia three four nights in New Zealand so then, so what's it like what Comedy doesn't translate well, famously. So what's it like? You're in Slovenia. You're telling jokes in English, or doing your act, not telling jokes per se, but uh, how does that work? Well, you know, it would be interesting to go over there and do a gig in a comedy club. I mean, my part of the show, I'm I'm the opening act, so I get introduced and I go on and... and, uh, it's Russell's crowd. So the hard work has already been done in terms of what you're talking about because they're his fans and they've come to see him and he does his act in English so they all speak enough English and like him that they want to come to the show. And his act is largely about the intercultural experience. There's intercultural stuff and right now he's doing a lot of... There, there's he, he talks a bit about, you know, there's, there's some sex and his being a man of a certain age. So I didn't do my bits about that i focus more on you know my marriage and family stuff which is pretty broadly mm, relatable pretty but there were some shows where i would go on and they would be on board with me right from the beginning and it would be super high energy the whole time and those were really fun and it happened that croatia zagreb that after the show in zagreb the promoter was like we should bring you back to zagreb for your own thing i was mm. like yeah, okay well if you want to i'd love to but uh and then there were then there were the other shows where I'd come out and it's cold and I'd have to talk a little bit and get get them going and then by the end they're warmed up and he goes on. Yeah. But like I said, they're his fans, so they all speak English because he does his show in English. And so the hard thing for me to get over was, yeah, we're in Slovenia or Croatia or Helsinki, Finland, but you, you just go out and relate to them and do your act. I mean, sometimes maybe you're slowing down a little bit because they might, English is obviously not their first language. Right, right. You're just kind of making sure that they understand the concept of what you're talking about because the, all jokes are, are a little surprise. All jokes are really magic tricks. Like, you didn't, you didn't think I was going to say, you thought I was going to say this, but hey, right. this is what I said right. instead. Yeah. And so sometimes those, if those jokes are based on a vocabulary choice, it, yeah. it was a little bit the tricky. Idiomatic expressions. Yeah. You know, I've, I've spent most of my life, as you know, living in countries where English isn't the first language. And so, like, I'm I'm really aware of the things that people say in their native language that are incomprehensible to someone who doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, who learned that language and speaks it well. But, uh, you know... Um, yeah, I forget. Just this morning, Cassie asked me uh, something. Uh, oh, playing hardball. 
It's like, oh, he's playing hardball. She's like, what? What, is, what does that mean? It's like, oh, it's a baseball thing, and there's softballs and hardballs. And it's like, yeah, you forget. Like, that doesn't make sense. I don't care how good your English is. And it doesn't make sense almost even when you go to have to explain it, because the explanation is not really clear. You almost want to go back and rewind and say, look, tell me exactly how this got started, because now it's a thing. Yeah. Everybody knows what it means, but people don't even yeah. understand. Like asshat. <laughs> asshat, I think I, you know, I gotta say, asshat probably started off as somebody just said it as a joke, and it the other person laughed. Funny. So, like, that's asshat. That's well, that's the other. I mean, that. there's a cool thing where words. It doesn't even matter what they mean. They're just funny. They sound mm-hmm. funny. You know, there's some quality in the. Like, I don't know if I told you the story about Casilda and I were watching the uh, Coen Brothers movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Remember? They're like runaway in the south, and the the dudes come up over a hill, and there's a clan rally going on, like burning crosses and horses and people in hoods and all that. And we're in a cinema, and Cassie leans over to me and she says, "Is that the Couscous Clan?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to watch out for the tabuli bunch. <laughs> yeah, the tagine on Thursdays, and it's like, you know, and I, I thought, like, I tried to explain it. It's like, well. What the fuck is the Ku Klux Klan? Where does that come from? You know, like I don't—I have no idea where that comes from. The KKK. I've been saying it my whole life. I don't know what the fuck it means. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah, Ku Klux. That's a weird thing. Who came up with that name? Yeah, some racist son of a bitch. Some well, asshat. it was Bob Ku and Tony Klux. <laughs> Tony the Kluxes. <laughs> yeah, the Klux brothers. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, so you're up on stage and and you can feel. By the like the, the the how quickly the laughter comes, like how how well they're understanding. So maybe you slow down a little. Yeah, well, there's a so, rhythm thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it would be interesting to go back and and Hong Kong. I met the guy who has a comedy club in Hong Kong, so I may go back there and do that, and that'll be. But there, it's all of these countries also. The amazing thing is everywhere we went, Bangkok, Manila, Singapore, uh, Jakarta even, you could speak English. The touristy, everywhere that you went where you wanted to get a sandwich or buy something, people spoke English. So you didn't have, there. almost, there's not a language barrier anymore because we speak the language that everybody learned because that's, the language they 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 can consume our popular entertainment, which we're shoving up their asses nonstop. Yeah, and and also, it's kind of the default. It used to be French was the language of di- yeah. diplomacy, but now English is the language. If you want to learn an ang- a language so you can talk to the most people, it's English. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but There's but it is a difference speak- between being able to understand your order and say hi and get you a sandwich yes, and true. like getting a well, subtle joke. So the people who come to the comedy show have self-selected themselves. Right. They're fans of this other guy. Or they and you get a lot of like, travelers and expats too, I imagine. Well, some, but he gets a lot of, he gets a lot of local people. There. Really? I mean, he, oh. his fan base is, he's, I think it started off as maybe expats, but, or, and then they bring along the person that they're dating who's from that country, and mm. then they like it, and then they turn on someone else who's mm. neither one of those things but, but is into American right. whatever. Or, right. I mean, it's not really American. But every it's amazing to hang out with this Russell Peters. I mean, not to... I feel like I can toot his horn because I've spent a lot of time with him. Yeah. Um, you're sitting in a 
restaurant bar in Croatia and people recognize, know who he is and want to come over and take a selfie with him everywhere. Trondheim, Norway, you know, mm. Zagreb, Croatia. People recognize and want to come over and take a picture. And he's not that distinctive looking a guy. Yeah, well, he is fairly. I mean, obviously... I mean, to recognize it's him, hard there to, are a lot of dudes who look like him. It's hard come to on. unfamous somebody, but like John Travolta nowadays, you wouldn't... It's a, You know it's John Travolta, so you recognize him, but he just looks like a kind of a chunky dude. Wearing a robe in a bathhouse. Well, yeah, he's a little bit of an asshat. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're right. So, so back to your. I know how to do stand-up comedy, but I don't always know how to describe how I'm doing it sure, to people. Yeah. But yeah, there's a little bit of uh, what I was. If I was, if I could find anyone who gave a shit, I would love to tell them the things that I know. But one of the things that I feel about doing stand-up is, if a joke doesn't work, and you're an experienced comic who's been doing comedy for a while, you you're doing a something that you think is funny and it doesn't work it's there's a high possibility that uh, that it's because the audience just doesn't understand what you think is funny so you've left some key piece of information out you know that that you assume that everybody knows this part of the setup but in fact they don't and you have to spell that out or explain it so with me uh an example of a joke that I used to do that was a real barometer of that is I had a joke about I'm from Iowa and you move to California there's a real cultural difference I'm walking down the street in my suede jacket and a woman comes up to me and says excuse me Sarah did you know that a cow was murdered for that jacket and so I say back to her you know I didn't know there were any witnesses (laughs) now I'm going to have to kill you too (laughs) and so If they laugh like you Uh did when I say I didn't know Uh there were any witnesses, they got the joke. Right. But sometimes you say I didn't know there were any witnesses, and I'm saying it like I'm a crazy maniac who's just been caught out. Yeah, yeah, you You do it with the eyes blazing and all that. But if I say I didn't know there were any witnesses and they don't laugh, it's not because it's not a good joke. It's because they don't realize I'm the crazy person. So then when I say, now I'm going to kill you too, then they laugh. Ah. So sometimes the so first part... So did you add that second line to close the well, deal? I don't, I don't or was it exa- part of the original joke? Well, that's what I'm saying is it probably came out of I did the first thing and they didn't laugh. So I needed a way to explain the second part of the joke, right. but not... not Which ends know, up, that's, that's part it ends the, up making it a better joke. It's part of the joke. It's it's a it's a tag on the original joke. Yeah. Unless you didn't get the original joke, and then it's an explanation. And it that, so you it. get the punchline. Yeah. And so that is analogous to I feel like what I'm doing when I'm on stage in these other countries. I'm feeling it out. I do something mm. if it wasn't a joke. Sometimes there's the opportunity to add something that makes it more clear what the joke was what the what the switch or the thing was yeah. and sometimes it's like okay i know that this is an issue now with this crowd so the next joke i'm going to i'm going to be a little more clear on the setup before i do the punchline right right so, so, there's so you're that. adjusting in real time there's a yeah but it's much less conscious than the way i sure. just described sure. it. it's 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 a more of an organic thing what about like do you notice in a, on a tour like this do you notice uh, cultural differences in sense of humor. Can you pick up like, oh, these the Dutch people really like this the the jokes about cheese. 
Yeah, it's hard because you're just doing one show. We we did right. one show in Amsterdam. Yeah, you know, we did not three a big shows sample. in Norway, so you don't have a giant sample to know that. Right. But I did have a joke that involved pooping, that was popular in Germany. <laughs> just to, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, but I'm saying. I'm not surprised. Although the whole idea of the Ger- I mean, Germans are famous for not having a sense of humor. You know, I mean. The French? Did you do any? You didn't have any. We didn't do a show in France. See, no. probably because I like comedy in France is people falling over. Jerry Lewis is like the biggest thing. Well, ever. and I think in France, you know, there's places where he's been. Russell's been before where he knows he's got a fan base, and then sometimes you come into a, if if you, if he's going into a new place, you might get a higher percentage of expats. You know, I'm sure there's enough people in France to do an American, an English language comedy show, and in fact, I think there are. There are tours of smaller level right. comedy gigs right. that you can do in English in France, but you're talking more to an expat crowd than, right. to, and than to the other crowd. Yeah. So it's so the sense of humor is so interesting. It's right. I mean, laughter is right up there with with like sex and music. I think as as these things that are like just like biological, but also. Um, I mean, on, on one level, they're universal. Like, everybody laughs, right? But we mm-hmm. laugh at different things. Laughter means different things in different cultures. Well, and I would definitely say that, it, you know, my experience overseas was was going to countries where they speak English. You yeah. know, like to Ireland or the UK or Australia. Ireland must have been fun. There's a country that has well, a they great sense of humor. such a great sense of humor that yeah. sometimes... And, and, and some of my... Some of my jokes are language. It's the choice of word, right? And and sometimes the choice of word is not funny to them because that's the word that they always use. Yeah, to me. It's not like a fanny and yeah. ass and you know that whole thing. Well, yeah. or it's it's more of yeah. like you 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 cleverly pick this vocabulary that everybody knows but people don't often use, right? You know, but they do use it because it's an old there, word. That but there, it's more correct. of a thing like yeah, we do use it because we think that's funny too. So you're not as clever as you thought to right. us. <laughs> um, yeah. What about but, heckling? Is there a cultural difference in heckling? There was not really heckling. Every once in a while, it happened that we did a show at Wembley. Well, it happened. We, there was a show scheduled at Wembley, and Belinda and Fanula flew over for that, and it was great because it's 12,000 people. 12,000 people. I'm Holy introduced, shit, man. I go out cold to this crowd of 12,000, and they kind of got on board right away, and then somebody yelled something, and I made a spontaneous, you know, I, de- I dealt with it, and it worked. And the English kind of love it when you... Right are a little bit clever and you deal with that yeah, and it worked yeah. and so it was pretty great for my wife and daughter I mean it made them both love me a little bit more <laughs> or at least respect or hate me you less. for that one night yeah hate you less well, those are the same really <laughs> yeah, it just really. depends on which side of the zero you're on exactly. but you're talking about the same, it's the direction. same direction it's a nudge yeah yeah. what's it like for for your daughter to see dad on stage in front of 12,000 people it was exciting she yeah. had been backstage at shows before but she had never gone in the audience and so for that to be even if it hadn't been her first experience, it, it was like, you know, you don't think your dad is a cool yeah, guy. Right. And it's nice. And, and I've got a weird job that it's hard to describe 
to even people who I'm friends with, like what I do and how does it work and yeah. what's hard about it. And, you know, especially you come to the improv, like the show that you came to, it's a small crowd and you can kind of feel like, look, I've talked to this many people or yeah. I, I understand it. But, it's but relatable. Yeah. I think it was good for 12, her. 12,000? She was, she was really, she got it. She yeah. got what's cool about this job and yeah. she got that, like, oh, look, I'm, this is a real, I'm a real guy who's really done uh, really accomplished things. I mean, it's not something that I struggle with realizing in my life. Although every once in a hey, while, we all do. Look, man. look at the place where we're sitting, having this conversation, and and I would put this in loosely. This is bracketed as far as my wife's concerned. We're at work. This is my job right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. what a great job. I'm so, I'm so uh, thrilled and amazed that. Uh, podcasting has become my gig and uh, that you know it's like people are sending mm-hmm. sending money through Patreon and keeping it's great it's great it's and when incredible. you're so good I mean not to toot your own horn but I, I'm a big fan of your podcast okay. I feel like I'm what I'm doing is for a <laughs> I don't even know who it is my show is for, but uh, it's for obviously for people who are fans of mine yeah. but, but uh, it's it's really uh a great thing to be able to connect to people that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it's, you know, the giant numbers that you're, or the larger than my numbers. Not giant. That but you're dealing with. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it just feels like, boy, you're really communicating. You're really connecting to people. Yeah. And people give a shit about you. You give a shit about them. Yeah. And, and that, we need more of that. It's, it really feels like a community, you know, even though, you know, when you're, you're standing on stage in front of 12,000 people, you see them there and and it's like and you know the reactions immediate and it's incredible and there's this feeling but when you're doing a podcast and 12,000 people are listening it's as if they're not there you know it's i i had a really cool experience uh 2 days ago is with uh, my buddy Simon Rex right he's uh-huh. a quite famous guy uh you know in scary movie 2 3 and 4 and they all, he's been all over the place so he's very his face is very well known and we went into this restaurant in uh Venice and uh, to order a sandwich, and the woman behind the bar looked at us. To, she was like, "Okay, what can, can I take your order?" And she looked, and she was like, oh, "You're Christopher Ryan! Oh my God!" And her face turned red, and she was like, "Oh my God! I can't. Your book changed my life, and I listen to your podcast all the time." And da 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 da. And I was like, well, "Do you know Simon?" She's like, "No, but your book was just." A- <laughs> and I was like, "I was giving Simon all his shit because it was, you know, come on, there's." I mean, uh, small, small fish, big fish situation. Um, but it was really nice because then when we left, Simon said, he was like, dude, you're so lucky because you're, all your fans are so cool because they actually know you. Like when someone recognizes me, it just means they've seen my face somewhere. They've, they, you know, whatever. They don't know me. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Simon talking, right? He's like, your fans, they know you. They they actually know you. Well, because they listen to the podcast. It's different. Po- yeah, it, it's it's really cool. If you listen to anyone's podcast, I mean, whether it's an interview podcast or a podcast where they just talk themselves, you knew, you do know them. Yeah, because I, over time. Because they're for a long time. And you find slips. out the yeah. recurring things that they're interested in. And yeah. I mean, just to go back to our friend, uh, we, I, I mean, I met him only once but joe joe rogan i mean yeah. he, he's always talking about how you know you talk to someone for three hours you really know what they're like unlike when you watch someone's talk show appearance right. when you listen to them on the podcast yeah. on a podcast it's a very different experience but then when you listen to that 
person's podcast, even if they're just an interviewer, yeah, you still find out about them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially if it's if it's somebody like, you know, Joe or or you do it, I do it. Like, it's more conversation than interview. I think. Yeah. You know, I try to get out of the way and not talk too much. In this case, it's weird because. It's not clear who's doing whose podcast. But on my podcast, sometimes people, this is one thing people don't realize. Like, I, I admit that I can talk too much. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes when I'm talking, I'm covering for the person who I can see is emotionally not ready to keep going. Sure, sure. You know, yeah. like there's something moving or touching and they're like, they need a minute to compose themselves and I'll jump in and just fucking blah, 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 blah to sort of give them some space. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell that necessarily when you're listening, you know. Well, and the other thing I think sometimes in when you listen to podcasts or conversations and I've listened back to some that I've had where where there's some moments where it's get you, you try not to get off on a tangent like we are on now we're a little bit meta right now but sometimes sometimes that is necessary to kind of change tracks or open something up so you can go deeper into a into a an idea yeah yeah and well that mine's called tangentially speaking because i like tangents Mm -hmm. because i like going like letting it go and, and not knowing where it's leading necessarily you know, like I did a podcast recently with a dude, a marine biologist, uh, Wallace J. Nichols. I haven't released it yet, um, but it'll go up in the next week or two. And uh, and the guy's super interesting. He's he's written a book called Blue Mind, which is all mm-hmm. about you know the the human relationship with water and the the, the magical wow. properties of water and the, just the mysticism and the it's an amazing amazing book, amazing guy, beautiful dude. Um, and we're talking, and uh, turns out, what? You have to pee, Jake? So bad. Speaking of and water. you're talking about water. <laughs> it's totally killing me. I'm going to pause. We'll come right back. Okay. Speaking of relationships to water, I feel so much better right now. <laughs> Hope it wasn't blue. Oh, my God. I had been, I thought, oh, we're... We're a little past an hour. This is going to wind. And then you co- you got into the new topic. I was like, well, I really want to hear about this. But holy cow, too much water. Anyway, back to your guest. So I'm talking to Wallace J. Nichols, uh, who goes by J. His name's he calls himself J. Um, and I don't remember what it was, but something he said led to a question totally off the topic. And it turns out he was adopted. And then we get into the whole, like, and he he met his biological parents and this very moving, beautiful uh, part of his life that I had no clue about going into it, right? Mm-hmm. I thought I was just going to talk to a scientist about his research. And it ends up being this deeply personal, intimate um incredibly soulful uh part of him that after we you know when i turned off the mics and everything he said man that was so great i've never talked about that publicly before and it felt really good you know and uh yeah yeah. it's like a part of him that he didn't realize was really interesting well yeah and 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 conversationally it probably hadn't 
it never comes up in an interview unless it is a podcast where right. you have that created space where it's just yeah. like, oh, this is a chance to, for you to tell that story. I, yeah. And I feel like, don't you think just in general, we tend to, entertainment-wise and even, even personally, but culturally, it's like, in some, I think it's Japan where if you ask, you don't ask someone what they what their job is right. because your job is Spain not either. Your, you would never your job is not them. your identity. Yeah. I mean, in my case and in your case, our job is a is, it is a thing about us that that right. de, that defines us in a way. But the idea that uh, I can say I'm a comedian and you know everything about me, or I can say that uh, I live in Santa Monica and you know everything about me, we we're always looking to understand each other just on on. On, people want to pigeonhole each other. You want yeah. to like this. I want to know what you are, so I can define you and mm-hmm. stick you over here, and then that's it. When people say yeah. Chris Ryan, then this is what he is, and uh, and that it, it, I think podcasts help you to hopefully realize everybody's got a story. Everybody isn't just the first thing that you know about them or the first thing that's really mm-hmm. interesting about them. There's also some other stuff that you haven't heard about them. Yet. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's why I fucking love doing this. And that's why I always do it in person. I don't do any Skype stuff anymore because that's lost. I feel like, you know, like there are podcasts that are fine, you know, like whatever, like talking to a comic and, you know, okay, you're a scientist and they just talk about what their research is and you don't get personal. It doesn't turn well, into... Well, if you've got a clearly defined... I'm a, I'm a fan. I know that you you you, you are not so much, but uh, or, or you have different feelings about Tim Ferriss, but I, I like Tim Ferriss. I like his mm. podcast, but he's got a clearly def- defined yeah. thing that he's going for. You know, right. he's going for highly high performance people people who are successful in their field and he's trying to find out their tips and tricks and secrets and and then he will tangent off that to their life like how do you organize your day and whatnot but but it's very defined so i feel like when i listen to his podcast and he's got somebody on skype or or whatever he uses to record remotely it's not as big of a thing but what you're doing is you're trying to really make a connection to people yeah i want it to be a living I want it to be something that you would never be able to read, you know, that yeah. that, that isn't going to come out in an interview with Vanity Fair or that, you know, isn't going to be the result of asking the same question that I've asked everybody else, you know, like Tim does at the end of his thing. He has that yeah, yeah. five questions or whatever. Um, and I'm not I'm not bad mouthing him. That's that's a, a way of. No, I, of what getting I, the information. The, the, just he the wants. example was why you would want to be in person, why he would not be right. Because for me, to have that. Exactly. For me, I want it to be like I want. In the best possible cases, what I try to do is create an environment, like an ambiance, where the person feels safe, and so things bubble up to the surface that normally don't. And so it's maybe it's almost like a therapy kind of vibe a little bit or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But, like, I, I just recently did a podcast with a woman who was sex trafficked, right? Mm-hmm. And she wrote to me because she listens to the podcast and she's like, I want to share my story with you. I want, I want to share this story because I think it's really important for someone who's been through it to talk about it. I think it's important for young women to hear this story. And I want you to be the one I tell it to. 
because of, you know, this. Like, there's no judgment and all this kind of stuff. And she drove from Vancouver to L.A. in order to do that, to sit down and, wow. and tell me your story. And it was fucking amazing. It, it, and the response has been incredible. And it's been 100% supportive and, um, you know, celebratory of this woman and what a badass she is and, you know, how beautiful it is that she told this story. And I felt the same way with Jay. Like, we get into, like, a really deep thing, and it's like, I feel so fucking honored by that, you know? And it that kind of thing, I don't think it can happen on Skype. At least I can't create that energy if I'm not in a room with a person. Well, yeah, there's a there's a, a trust intimacy. Yeah, it just doesn't so feel. To, someone has to be able to look in your eyes and know they can trust you. And also, like, if okay, I did another one a couple weeks ago with another woman who was sex trafficked. Actually, strangely, like two of them happened right out, you know, back to back, and. Very emotional. In fact, that's the one I was I was thinking of when I said sometimes if I appear to be talking too much, it's because I'm giving cover to a person to mm-hmm. you know get themselves uh, together. And um, you know, and I told her when I met her, and and she told me her story. Um, it was actually a strange thing. I was at a party. And um, she was at, we we were chatting. She's really beautiful and she's from uh, Mongolia. And like she was raised in a yurt, like out on the steps Mm -hmm. of Mongolia. It's all yurts in Mongolia. It's everybody's in a yurt. I mean, you can't say you're special because you were raised in a yurt. You can't throw a cat without hitting a yurt in Mongolia. Uh, Anyway, so I was, I I said, uh, wow, Mongolia, like how do you get from Mongolia to New York where this party was? And she looked at me for a long time, and, and she said, oh, I, I think I'm going to tell you the truth. I said, okay, what's the truth? And she told me this whole story about being trafficked, being 16, offered a job in Beijing in a hotel. She takes the bus from Ulaanbaatar to this, this hotel. They take her passport, and they say, yeah, there's no hotel. This is this bar where foreigners come. And this is an episode of your podcast. This is, I recorded this with her two weeks ago. So it's coming out. It's so not. This is, it's not. Oh. Because, you know, I told her, like, if you ever want to tell that story publicly, I, you know, I have this podcast and I, you know, and we went back and forth a bit and then she said, okay, you know what, I want to tell the story. And so we got together, we did it. It was very intense. Um, and then she said, you know, I'd like to listen to this before you put it out. I said, of course. I sent her the, the file. She listened to it. And then she said, I, I don't think I can't. This can't go out. I can't do this. So that's part of the trust, though, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure. not going to do anything sure. to hurt you. Yeah. And the, the point, the you point have the final is say. Uh, it, there's trust and there's comp- safety comfort i mean yeah just to be able to tell the story right is the comfort and safety factor in the and the connection that you have and then the yeah. trust then come you know it's sometimes like it's comfortable that happened the reason i'm sorry because yeah. i interrupted you in the middle of you kind of giving the basics of her story but i just wanted to remember like this is you got this on your podcast you don't we don't need to 
to tell it. So no, I but we do because I didn't. <laughs> I did interrupt you because <laughs> I don't. Think I had a, what I'm saying is I had an a, re- in a reason to interrupt you, and now I realize I shouldn't have interrupted you <laughs> because I'm curious about the rest of it. That's she thinks right. there's a hotel job. She didn't take her passport. No, and, and it's yeah. like you got to make this much money or we'll kill you. And and she didn't speak any Chinese. She was in the middle of nowhere. She didn't know anyone. And it's like, oh, what what other options are there here? You either you know, fuck these guys and get this money or we kill you. Can't go to the cops. Cops don't give a shit and the cops are in on it and the cops don't speak her language. Absolutely helpless. Absolutely, I mean, unbelievable. Anyway, so the story of like how she got from there to the U.S. and like, it's a hell of a story. Um, But my point is that in order to... uh, you know, legitimately create those moments sometimes, I'm willing to, like, just, like, you've you got, you got the final say, whether this ever goes out or not. And it actually happened, one of my first, early on, like in the first 20, 30 episodes or something, I interviewed this guy. Um, I don't remember how I got in touch with him, but he's a Jungian journalist, or a Jungian analyst uh, in L.A. And he's he was old. He was, like, late 80s, something like that and a wonderful dude and uh yeah i can't say more about him without giving it away because his father was very famous and wrote some songs that everyone knows and there was this whole so so i'm interviewing him because his father wrote these very famous songs and and this guy's very old and he's a union analyst and that's enough for me that's all interesting right? right turns out his father and his mother had an open relationship in the 1920s. His father, his mother fell in love with his father's best friend and writing partner. And the father was like, well, whatever, you guys make a better couple than we ever did anyway. Let's just keep, you know, working together and living together. And this very sort of progressive, chill, um, you know, very decent kind of response. This guy, my the guest at this point, he's in his 20s, comes home from university or the army or I don't remember where he was, and they sit him down. They're like, okay, look, you're going to notice mom's sleeping with him now because this has happened, but, you know, everything's still cool and, you know, he's moved in, but I'm sleeping over in that room and mm-hmm. just so you know, like, we all love each other, you know, don't worry about it. Anyway, so he tells me this whole story that I didn't, obviously, I didn't see that coming, yeah. right? So it turns into a discussion of love and, you know, parenting and, you know, what it's like to think about your parents' sexual lives and, you know, in addition to the Jungian stuff and being 88 and all his experiences. And anyway, we had a fucking great time. It was like three-hour conversation. Yeah. Wonderful. And then I go home. And the next morning, I get an email from him saying, Hey, Chris, it was so much fun talking with you yesterday. I told you things. I, I've never told anyone. Uh, and then it occurred to me that if any of my patients hear that podcast, it's going to ruin their therapy because they can't know anything about me. And I told you so many uh-huh. intimate things of my personal history that it, it could ruin their therapy and some of my patients have been with me for years and I, I can't really risk that and also I told you things about my family that my cousins don't know my you know my other people in the family don't know it could be difficult for them to hear some of those things and he said I'm not asking you to destroy 
to destroy it, but would you mind not releasing this while I'm alive? <laughs> would you mind? Okay, well, how do you feel right now? <laughs> yeah, like what kind of a right. what kind of a countdown you have me on here? How are your bowel movements? <laughs> I know you think I'm a lot younger than you, but what are the odds that I'm actually going to outlive you? Yeah, so, yeah. how's he doing? Well, I've been calling his wife every month on the on the first of the month. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Will you know? Have you Googled to see if he's around? I because don't know. I, I would know. really like to listen to that episode. Because yeah. that again, I didn't want to interrupt you because I thought, well, this is going to be the same story <laughs> no, again. No. This is another. Well, see, I wouldn't tell. No, I wouldn't tell that, a story so about a story. People can't listen to that. So people cannot a, listen to it. That's no. a preview. That's a hey, listener, take care of yourself. That's because right. Because eat your this vegetables. This thing is out there. And yeah, maybe it'll be it. like a bootleg episode, you know? There, it'll be like the Grateful Dead. There'll be bootlegs that'll like get passed around on the dark web. So is this now a question that you're going to ask all of the people who tell you that... I mean, I'm not, I don't know how, but you've just told two stories about people who you record an episode and then they said, please don't yeah. air that. I think those do, are the only you, two, actually, of 350 Well, but is it a question then that you would ask, like, when they say, please don't air that, would you go, can I air it after you're dead? Well, you know what? It led me to an idea, which I haven't acted on to this point, but I may well act on at some point, which is a, a phrase that can be <laughs> applied to many things in my life, something I haven't done, but I've thought about. Uh, I, I had this idea for a podcast where I would go to hospices mm, and yeah, yeah. interview people in their final days and the idea being this will not be released while you're alive so talk about you're free to say whatever the fuck you want you're really free to say whatever you want this this will be released when you're gone so it's like you speaking from beyond the grave right or from yeah, beyond yeah um and yeah i've mentioned that on the podcast a few times and people have written to me hospice nurses and and you know physicians and stuff saying hey if you ever do that like get in touch because i know people who would be fantastic in fact oh my god this one i forgot about i got an email from a guy who said hey i heard you mention that it's a great idea um it's not much interesting about me i'm an iraq vet um blah 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 uh, and three months ago, I was diagnosed with something. I forget what it is. And uh, they tell me I got a few months. If you'd like to do it, you know, I'm up for it. Let me know. He was in Michigan. And, uh, yeah, I wrote back and said, I'd love to. But Michigan, you know, I don't. I don't and I'm doing all this stuff right now. And, and then I sort of forgot about it. And then... Uh, a few months later, I got an email from his wife just saying, uh, letting me know that he died. And, it, you know, there was a shame that we never got a chance to do it, but she just wanted me to know how happy he was that I responded. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one of the, like you say, it's a, those those connections with other people. And when I listened to your podcast, which we're on right now, <laughs> half asked. But when half I listen to your podcast, it. if you're listening to my podcast, the other podcast that you could be listening to is tangentially speaking. And you are, in fact, and you are, <laughs> and now you are. <laughs> Don't touch your dial. You're already there. Um, when I listen to your podcast, it's. I think it, it often seems like your guest selection, obviously people 
present themselves or people tell you about somebody that you should talk to. But also, you'll meet somebody and all, all, they, if they just have a little bit of an interesting story, and everyone has an interesting story That's if you it. talk to them for longer than yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, that, uh, and I mean this in the best possible way. You will have anyone on yeah. and that you, that you often get these great stories out of people who most people aren't listening to. And I was just talking to a friend the other day because I was talking about uh, the experience of being on on these two international tour things um, that I feel, you know, it's exciting to have performed in all these countries and to be able to say, look, this is how, if you're going to do that, this is my, this is my, the advice I'd give you or this is what I thought about it. The challenge now, I feel like at my age and at our, our age is we finally know some stuff about life but how do you get someone to give a shit and your podcast is definitely a way that you finally got people to listen to you so that you can not just tell them what you think about the world but give them a chance to listen to give a shit about what some other people think about in the world and I had that same thought about uh, just because of the ex- my personal experience of like geez I finally feel like I have something to say I have something to offer yeah. you know I could mentor a, a comedian or just talk to a younger person about the, the types of things that, that just the things that you say you know it's right. not it's not rocket science that you you should really think about how you want to spend your time on earth and you should value your dreams and pursue them that's you know that's a thing that some people know but a lot of people need to to hear and you know i'm i would i would love that some if somebody gave a shit to because people because people are out there struggling they're struggling yeah. like this is what i want to do but i'm getting these messages from the world yeah. that i shouldn't do that i should get on the everybody bus that's right. what i always call it the everybody bus right. you know and when we were talking about earlier this this is a great job we got a great job well it's like hey who knew in my case who knew that dropping out of college uh, to where I was going to be either an engineer or a journalist? Who knew that dropping out of college and moving to San Francisco with a crappy Toyota and doing shows for free while I waited t- tables and bartended? Who knew that that was a powerful, great choice? You know, yeah. who knew that that would lead to me hanging out on a weekday, talking into a machine with my friends right. and getting to go have lunch, or I mean, fucking it, standing in Wembley in front of twelve thousand people? Right. Yeah. But the, the point is, you don't know that that's what what's going to happen. What you know is that. That's you're you're going in the direction that makes you happy. You're right. following your dream, and if you're following everybody else's dream, or, and a lot of times they'll admit it's not even their dream. It's not even their dream to go to college to get the best paying right. job you can get. That's just what they think is the best way. That's the that's the everybody advice for how to run your life. Right. And it's the weird thing is like, how did that get to be the advice when it has backfired on almost everyone? <laughs> Well, you know, that's that's sort of the, the theme of this book that I just sent to my editor two days ago, Civilized to Death, which is how does civilization become the celebrated creation of human beings when it actually has not resulted in demonstrably better lives for human beings? And yet... To even say what I just said is considered ridiculous and absurd by most of the people who hear it. Yeah. But when you really dig into it and look at, like, well, are people happier? How do we measure that? Are people living longer? How do we measure that? You know, is life, is quality of life better for us 
us. I'm not talking about medieval people or the Romans or, you know, I'm talking about us, the pinnacle after 10,000 years of progress, right? Is life better for us, for you and me, who are the top of the top of the top of the most recent generation than it was for hunter-gatherers? That's really fucking hard to make that argument. Well, I would just say forget about hunter-gatherers. I just say for you, for you, are you... I think the question that people don't even ask themselves is do... Everybody would say they want to be happy, but when you ask people, are you happy? What would make you happy? What What is success? I, this is the question that I feel like people need to ask themselves is what does success mean? Yeah. What does success and happiness mean? What does that mean to you? Don't right. do it. You know, because... I feel like people can't, they have a hard time answering it because they think that they already know what it means. And then when they dig into what does success mean, they, they, I think a lot of people realize, at least a lot of people who want to tell me on this tour, we were backstage in Bangkok and a friend of a friend came to the show and was talking about what a great opportunity it was me to go on tour with Russell. And, and, and that is absolutely true. But they were talking about because it could lead to this or that in your life or career. And it's like, I, you know, I, you don't want to get defensive with people, but right. it's like, look, I already have a, the reason I'm on this tour is yeah. he respects me. I mean, I'm a guy that he listened to right. when he was starting out. This is a great opportunity for me to see the world because I'm not famous enough to tour right. arenas. But but this is not something that's going to lead to something else. This is a thing that I'm this doing in the I'm middle there. of my great life. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, success exactly. to me, I, I can't remember, it was some actor, and I don't want to say the wrong one, but it, it was one of those English guys who, who was saying, how much of your time do you control? You know that's a good that's a good definition mm, of success. It is because if you're not if you're not actively thinking about what is success, what's going to make me happy, then you're just eating what you're given. And what you're given is success is fame, success is money. So that this tour is a great opportunity to you for you because you could make more money. This tour is a great opportunity for you because you could become more famous. It's like look. That's not how I define my happiness. Right. I, I define my happiness is by my connection to my friends and my family. And can I, can I go out and eat what I want when I want to eat? And can I go and see the things that I want to see when I want to see them, whether it's a movie or a play or another city around the world? That's, that's success. And yeah. the more clear you are with yourself about your personal definition of that, the 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 happier you're going to be in your life because you're, you're going to realize you already have a bunch of the shit that that makes you happy. Yeah. You know? One of the things I thought when I thought, oh, I need, I, I really want to have so much money that I don't have to worry about anything. And 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 then it's like, well, yeah, well, that's a lot, that's a lot of people. What are, what are you worried about? Well, I'm worried that I don't have enough money. And it's like, well, <laughs> you could just yeah. stop worrying about that <laughs> yeah. and you don't even need Save the money. Time, it's buddy. like jujitsu. You don't yeah. need to do jujitsu if you know how to not get in a fight because yeah. all being a black belt at jiu-jitsu is going to make you realize is like you can't fight anybody because you're going to kill them yeah you yeah know? that's the truth yeah the, i mean and you think i don't know if you've read joseph campbell you're the hero a little of bit of it and, and we had the he had the pbs the power of myth yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic um but yeah i mean he his whole shtick was that you know every culture tells the same story and the story is about the young person who 
has so many questions and goes out into the world and has a series of experiences, you know, the Odyssey, you know, the one-eyed, the Cyclops and the the Sirens and the, you know, the Scylla Charybdis and all, all these different experiences. And then at the end returns home and discovers that the thing they were looking for was home all the time, but yeah, they yeah. couldn't see it until they had those experiences that revealed... You know, that gave them the capacity to recognize that what they were looking for was was right there. You know, right. that story is told over and over and over again in every culture in, in many different ways. Why the hell am I talking about that? Uh, well, because I was talking about it, saying. and then somebody loved water, and I think in the middle <laughs> there was a, there was some sex trafficking. I, I'm yeah, like, no, it's there hard was, for me to was, know the answer to the why question. Yeah, the why question. But I feel like we were so close to a high five and some lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to leave it there. There was there was some like deep closure, and I lost. I was it talking about how Joseph Campbell. You know, if you don't, if oh, you don't oh, like wealth own, and and success. Your definition and, of happiness, yeah, and success, your yeah. personal. Your personal definition. That's what you need to sit down and ask yourself. Yeah. And, I mean, there's that great line from, I think it's Henry David Thoreau, who said, a man's wealth is best measured by the things he can do without. You know? And I've always... I I had the insight very early on that things weren't going to make me happy. Things didn't... I, I could see already things weren't making me happy. And... And fame and money and like I was very fortunate in my early 20s to have those things offered to me not fame mm-hmm. but but money for sure and ego like a lot of ego fulfillment which is a form of localized sh- uh, fame I think and I I saw the people who had those things who were really wealthy and you know tenured professor at you know prestigious universities who were pretty fucking miserable and then I've probably told you the whole story when I hitchhiked to Alaska and I met all these great people who were nobody, but mm-hmm. they were really cool and they had healthy marriages. They're, you know, this guy's got a really hot wife and she loves him and he's got these great dogs and he knows how to fix his own truck. And he picked me up on the highway and took me home and like was really kind to me and, you know, gave me dinner and then gave me a ride back to the highway the next day. And it's like, who do I want to be like? You know, do I want to be like the fancy professor who doesn't know how to change a fucking light bulb and and hates the world? Or do I want to be like this guy who's like surrounded by love and health and beauty who's nobody? Right. You know, and so it really like I got that insight on that first trip to Alaska and and I'm so glad I did. And what you were saying earlier, like, you know, the the one tweak that I would say or the or the thing I kept thinking when you were talking about how you know, you and I have come to an age now where we have information that could actually be valuable to young people and like people need to hear right. this. And if somebody gave a shit, I have so much to say. I I feel like, and again, it's this self-selected thing, so it's hard to say to what extent this is accurate, but I feel like there are so many young people who are re- who really, really do want to know. They want to hear from older people, especially older men. I think there's a massive pool of people in their 20s and early 30s who haven't had an older male figure in their life that they respected either no dad or a dad they didn't couldn't relate to Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the reasons podcasts are certain kind of podcasts rogan 
you know, um, Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, Tim Ferriss. These are older guys giving advice to younger people. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, with a certain degree of authenticity and, and you know, legitimacy. Uh, and if you look at, like, the... I looked in the. Uh, I was looking at the L.A. Times the other day. The top ten best-selling books. Two of them, when I looked, were clearly advice for young men books. It was Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Good Life or whatever, and uh, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson, who I've had mm-hmm. on the podcast twice. I, I read that book. Did you? Yeah. He's, he's a good writer. He's a good writer. I mean, it, it, all of that stuff is... It's pretty common is, fucking is sense idea, to you I, It's me. ideas that, yeah. that, you've, that you've heard that are out there, but that, but it's, you know... It's packaged. Hey, I've well, taken these ingredients yeah. and I've made a different meal, and it's, yeah. it's delicious. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny, and it's yeah. helpful at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And there's a massive audience for that. So I, I feel like, you know, when you're saying that, I sense this frustration, like, but nobody gives a shit. I think people do give a shit. Oh, I try not to go, I try not to go all the way to, to frustration, but I, but I do feel like, uh, you don't, for me, it's not, it's not so much frustration. It's, it's just like, you, you just wait. You got to wait till someone asks you. No, That's nobody it. wants to That's be it. told something. Yeah, like until yeah, they ask. Yeah, so, unsolicited advice. So to find the people that. who are asking, or right. to find the people who are curious and not bother the other people yeah that's that's more of the challenge we I, I, I'm but that's not, what we're doing right that's what yeah. a podcast is it's like here if you want this it's here if you don't want it i'm not selling it i'm not pushing it try some here. other things yeah there are a lot of podcasts out there and i don't listen to podcasts <laughs> i mean i've I listened well, to busy. yours like i don't know five times, episodes yeah, or sure. something that's enough that's enough to get the idea <laughs> of what's going on <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you know, I I don't think I've like listened to an entire Joe Rogan episode. Yeah. In, I mean, if you if few. you're listening to Chris's podcast right now and you listen want to listen to one of my podcasts, listen to the Ms. Pat episode. There's two Ms. Pat, so the oldest one, Ms. Pat. That's she's a great conversation, and she's getting ready, I think, to become more of a big deal than she is right mm. now. Cool, but. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to listen to. I can't listen to everybody's podcast. I like Who your podcast, time? but I dip in and you listen to a yeah. couple, or you talk about one and one that you that it all makes me curious about another yeah, one. Yeah. Now I'm interested in two episodes that don't even exist. <laughs> well, I'll pass them to you. Yeah, I'll give you a personal oh, copy. The download, yeah, and then yeah. maybe we can do a podcast talking about the podcast that no one is that shall not speak its name. The, the another cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, well, you got to have a cliffhanger. A cliffhanger, probably. No, I'm I'm referring to the Stanhope. Uh, oh episode my God. that you you told me about one time on, yeah, on yeah. your podcast and yeah I'll tell you I had a great I know you want to go have lunch but I mean you're you know we're talking about I want you to want to go have lunch I too. do want to go have lunch uh, you're talking about like the sort of spontaneity that happens sometimes mm-hmm. did you happen to catch the Jeff Leach episode on my podcast uh, in Texas Terlingua Texas uh you, okay, it's I don't a think microbiome so. expert. No, no. Oh, it's it's. I listened to one of the other poop casts that you did. Fecal transplant guy. Yeah, yeah. That was a while ago. That was in Portland. Um, okay, amazing story. So, I'm driving through Texas with Cassie. We did a, a trip in the van to New Orleans and back. Uh, by the way, we're leaving. Talking about keeping things simple, we're leaving in the van Friday. We'll be on the road a couple weeks or a couple months, depending. Um, 
how things go. But uh, Cassie, your wife, Cassie. Yeah. Nice. It's the only the only Cassie I've got. No, what I mean, got she a was, few wives, she was, but she's she was living Cassie. outside of the country for a little while. Yeah. You guys are back reunited. Yeah. That's well, did you? You don't have to go into it. Tell me. Yeah, tell me about this New Orleans yeah. trip. This is lunch talk. Yeah, we'll talk at lunch. Um, so uh, we're driving through Texas, and you know I'm posting photos of Texas on my Instagram, that Chris Ryan for those of you who want to follow me, and uh, some guy sends me a text saying, "Hey, if you get to a town called Terlingua, Texas, you should look at my buddy Tony." And like, yeah, okay, great, thanks. Um, but it's like somebody I don't know. You know, it's just mm-hmm. this DM comes in. And I've never heard of Terlingua, Texas. And so we're driving around. We're going along the Rio Grande. And we're going to um, Big Bend National Park. I've never been there. Heard it's amazing. Perfect time of year to visit. So we come up to the west entrance. We drive through this shitty little, like, dusty little town. Um, go to the west entrance. And the guy says, yeah, all the camp campgrounds are full. Uh, can't, can't let you in tonight. But... Um, if you go, just go spend the night in that town right there and come back in the morning and I'll hook you up, right? Okay, so we drive back to this town and, and we're bummed because like we've spent, like we the last two nights we slept in like a parking lot or a rest stop on the highway. Mm-hmm. Like we were looking forward to a fire and like a nice camping mm-hmm. experience, you know? So we're kind of bummed out. We drive back to this little town. It's Terlingua, Texas. And it's like coincidentally, it's like didn't somebody? Yeah, like a week ago, somebody sent me a thing, and so I go back in my phone and I find this DM, and I was like, okay, so I text this guy Tony, and I'm like, hey, you don't know me, but some friend of yours said I should look you up. I don't know, whatever. If you're around, I'm I'm in town tonight. Fifteen minutes later, I get a text saying, yeah, we're having beers over here at the High Sierra. Come on over, and so Cassie and I go over, come in, and there's a table, like ten guys, ten people. Sitting there, pitchers of beer. Hey, come on, sit down. How are you doing? Really friendly people. And at some point, somebody says, like, he's like, God damn, look at all the dirt on this mug. I should, I, you know, I'm drinking more dirt than beer here. And someone else says, oh, don't worry, it's good for your microbiome. And I'm like, microbiome? You know about microbiome? He's like, yeah, sure. I said, you know, because I'm thinking, like, I'm the only guy who talks about shit most of the time like you Mm -hmm. know that's sort of my shtick yeah and i'm like hey i remember reading and i'm gonna impress these guys right because i have all this erudite knowledge i was like i remember reading a couple years ago about a dude who was in africa and he was living with the hadza hunter gatherers you probably never heard of them but they're these hunter gatherer group (laughs) in tanzania that's not you being condescending no (laughs) and he's living with them and he decides to take some shit from a Hadza and mix it up and blast it up his ass to see if he can get a hunter-gatherer's microbiome to take root in his own intestinal tract, right? Because uh-huh. hunter-gatherers have a much more complex microbiome than, than Westerners do, right? Yep. I, I say this to this guy thinking he's going to be super impressed with my amazing knowledge, and he says, yeah, that's him, and he points to the end of the table. And I look, and there's this dude sitting at the end of the table with a big smile, I said, what do you mean that's him? He's like, yeah, that was him. And I said, "You? that's you? He said, yeah. Like, you blasted the shit? The micro, the, the hunter-gatherer shit up your ass? He's like, yeah. Turns out this guy's a world-famous scientist. And is that the guy who you've been sent to talk to? No, no, this is his buddy. <laughs> he happened to be sitting at the table. you partying with that guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, what? You're that guy? He's like, yeah. 
how the fuck does this happen? You're in this little town. I keep saying shitty. It's not a shitty town. It's just like no town. There's like, you Mm -hmm. know, nothing there. I mean, literally, the center of this town is the ghost town. It's called Ghost Town. It's like that's. But it's right by the park. Yeah, but anyway, you got to imagine like nothing for a hundred miles in any direction, and then there's like, you know, maybe five hundred people, right? And one of them is one of the world's experts on microbiome and he splits his time between Tanzania living with hunter-gatherers and hanging out in Terlingua, Texas. So you get to hang out with this guy. So we hung out. We spent four or five days there. We, we were there till the last possible minute. And the only reason we left is I had to go to New Orleans to, to tape this uh, Netflix thing that, mm. that we talked about earlier. I want to have to go to New Orleans because I love to go to New Orleans. What... So this is my first it? time ever there. You go every year, right? Yeah, yeah. First time I'd ever been there. Oh well, this is some more lunch talk. But yeah. um, did you do a podcast with the? By my I did. Group? That's Jeff Leach, and that's uh, you, people can listen to that. that well, they one, have listened that to that. Actually, if, on, if you're yeah. listening to your, if you're listening to, to Chris's <laughs> podcast, this is, believe me, we're coming on two hours, and I'm Let's super eat, confused. But if you're eat. listening to Chris's podcast, you've already heard the Jeff Leach episode. But if you're listening to my unless podcast, you missed it, I mean, people don't listen to every episode. But that's right. a particularly good one. If you're listening yeah. to this one, you haven't listened to that one. Oh, then you haven't. Then listened I mean, to I, I've got a pretty decent self-image, but you made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, if you're listening to my podcast, check out Chris Ryan's podcast. Tangentially speaking, go right to the Jeff Leach episode. Jeff Leach. That's what I'm going to do as yeah. soon as I finish e- eating lunch. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to be able to shit with the right microbiome until I listen to that podcast. It's it's going to be hard. Yeah, we talk about a, a lot of different good shit in that. And if you're listening to Tangentially Speaking, check out Jake's podcast called Jake This. Is that The Jake This of Jake Johansson podcast. But if you just the type Jake, Jake This, this of in, Jake Johansson podcast. I just wow. thought it would be funny to name yeah. it that. But if you just put in Jake <laughs> This, it'll come up. All right, man. Let's go eat. All right. This is it. I'm going to... this Now I push the button to play the music. I can't hear you unless you talk into the machine.